0: FOREVER! <laughs>
1: DOG! Just between
0: us. Hey. Just between us. Hey. Yeah. Hello, I'm Allison Maskin I'm a writer, mental health advocate, and I bruise very easily. Hi, I'm Gabby
2: Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink, and I like to have more than one drink at a time.
0: Yeah, you have two drinks right now. I always do. You have a smoothie and an iced coffee.
2: Yeah, or I'll have like an iced coffee and a soda. Or I'll have like a water and like a seltzer. Like I never don't have two drinks.
0: Oh, that's nice.
2: Yeah, I they don't, okay. Someone, I was in the grocery store and they were like, oh, like Coke, ca- like so- coffee, Coke. You know, like they have that, that. What? Yeah, they have that like mix. They have a
0: mix of coffee and Coke?
2: Yeah. Yeah. And then they were like, they were my friend who I was with was like, oh, and I was like my like had a very big reaction of like gross. And I was like, I actually really like (laughs) those. I actually think those are tasty. You've had it. Oh, yeah. What's the prominent flavor? It's a really equilateral flavor profile. Which comes first? Uh, It's like caffeinated. It's like caffeinated coffee. But oh, there's coffee. still what? you mean caffeinated oh, Coke? No, no. I'm so sorry. I'm so tired. Carbonated coffee.
0: Uh, Carbonated coffee. Okay. Ew. All right. Yeah.
2: <laughs> um, it's uh I like it. I think they do go together. I've mixed um coffee and Dr. Pepper. But Melissa's mad because I never drink water.
0: I like to, um, my favorite way to eat is tapas. I like when there's a lot of different things to eat on yeah. my plate and I can have a different bite each bite. Yeah. But I haven't thought about exploring the tapas of drinking.
2: Yeah. And that's
0: intriguing to me.
2: Especially because I'm sober. So I just have different little, like little, uh, like a Red Bull that I've taken two sips out of. And then like, there's like a little ju- apple juice or orange juice, like uh, somewhere else in the house that I've taken
0: two sips yeah, of. Yeah. My dad always tries to clean up my glasses like when I visit him at home. And so he's like, as soon as I put a glass down, he like tries to put it in the dishwasher and it's become this ongoing joke that like I'll scream at him not to take my glass. And one time I left New York and I put um, a glass of like with like Two sips of water left on the counter, and I wrote a note that says, Don't move this. Oh my
2: God.
0: (laughs) And then I came home months later, and my parents had kept the note, and the glass was I mean, it was a different glass as a goof, but it was still there with the note. It's you,
2: you really came from the right people. You know what I mean? Or was I so
3: shaped by these? Yeah, like you, you, uh,
2: this, the family sense of humor is really just so. Uh, a- able to be pinpointed. And just then there's so Jocelyn. Clear. And then there's Jocelyn. <laughs>
0: My sister was like, none of this is funny to me.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Which kind of makes me, I don't know. I haven't spent time with her, but maybe I'll want her approval deeply at your uh, Bachelorette
0: weekend. Yeah. It's hard not to deeply want Jocelyn's approval. Yeah, maybe. I don't know.
2: I don't know what she'll think of me, but we're gonna have a good time. <laughs> You've met her. I know, but now I'm- You haven't seen her in years. I haven't seen her in years. And also like um, I was saying, because Melissa's going too, and I was like, it's all women and then me. And my friend was saying that it's a rite of passage to be uh, the only gay guy on a bachelorette weekend. And I'll have, I'll be, we're talking about this later, but I'll be post-top surgery. I'll be four more months on testosterone. Like I'm doing um, minoxidil on my mustache. So I'll have more of a mustache. Uh, So I don't know what it's going to look like. (laughs) I am with you girls. I don't know. I just like vogue my way into the spa. I don't know. know. (laughs) Hey, girlies, who's ready for champs? Like, and I'm just like wearing like a pride
0: tank top with my nips out. (laughs) I can't wait. It's it's in April. So we have a lot of a lot of times to plan. Yeah, there's so
2: much time for me to become the most insufferable gay man you all have ever met. (laughs)
0: Just between us, a variety show filled with heartfelt advice, ridiculous games, and brutal honesty.
2: This week, I'm so excited. We're talking to Denise Kim all
0: about K-pop. It was wild. I knew nothing about K-pop, and I feel I feel rocked. Yeah,
2: it was. I I don't want to say it was a, a juicy interview, a highly controversial interview, uh, the most
0: scandalous interview. You don't want to say that. No, I do. <laughs> <laughs> And later, we're going to be talking all about Gabby's upcoming top surgery, which by the time this episode airs, you'll be a few days out from.
2: Yeah, by the time this airs, the I will already be minus, minus two and a half pounds. How much do you think these weigh?
0: I have no idea.
2: Well, that'll already happen by the time you hear this.
0: <laughs> but first, we have got to answer a listener's question. And you know what that means? Hit it! International question, international question, international question. Anonymous, England. Pip pip. Okay. Anonymous writes, "Hi, Gabby and Allison. Longtime listener here. Love you both and the pod. My question to you is: How can I stop ruminating over a comment slash joke someone has made at work? I'm happily married to my partner of seven years and i am now 20 weeks pregnant with our first child.
2: Oh, congrats!"
0: I just told my coworkers the news, but told my manager a couple months ago as I had a lot of doctor's appointments I needed time off for. While at a casual work social event, I was telling a couple of other coworkers who hadn't heard yet about the baby. And my manager, who is a man, said something like, We've been keeping that a secret, which caused one of my coworkers, also male, to say, Oh, wait, is it your baby? Insinuating a relationship between myself and my manager. I immediately corrected him and he apologized profusely and we all laughed it off. but I still feeling very uncomfortable about the interaction and can't stop thinking about it. What it adds to this is there was an incident last year where my manager made another comment about how both him and I had a room reserved at the same hotel for after the company Christmas party. Many other co-workers also had rooms there, not just me, but the way he said it made it sound like we were staying together, which was absolutely not the case. I corrected him then as well, but some people still made jokes about it long afterwards. The Christmas party ended up being canceled due to COVID anyway, but that incident also still bothers me. Long story short, I don't feel like my manager meant to insinuate anything on purpose, and he's actually a very kind person and a good manager, and he did apologize for his comments. But I still feel extremely uncomfortable that those situations happened at all, and I can't stop obsessing over them. It's almost like I feel guilty they happened and like I have to defend myself somehow, even though I wasn't at fault. Help. Why can't I let it go?
2: Okay. So I've noticed that I usually immediately start talking. So I'm going to say, what made you pick this and what do you think, Allison?
0: Oh, no, because I was thinking, I don't know what to say. I hope Gabby has a good answer. Oh, and this is the one day I try to be polite.
2: Earlier today, I said, who wants these gummies before I ate them because I'm learning how to be polite. And now I try to be polite here. It really and, and hits
0: it me in the face.
2: backfires. Okay, so here's my thoughts. Yeah, you go first. Fine. Everyone <laughs> always says, oh, Gabby just fires off, fires off. Nope, we're going for it. Okay. You have to trust your gut and your intuition. And even though things seem small, I think that sometimes we are picking up on something that is an indication of how we want to be treated or talked about that sometimes we feel guilty for because we tell ourselves, oh, nothing happened. It was nothing. But like, if it made you feel a certain way, if um it bothered you, it then that's valid and you don't have to minimize and like it still happened. I think there's some sort of embarrassment inherent in like being like, a stickler or being like, oh, I'm uptight. But like, there's nothing to be embarrassed about. This is a work situation. And, you know, I think that if you have a gut instinct that this person kind of says these things and you don't really like that, then you don't have to engage in. These are not your fault. Like you don't have to engage with this person or you can sort of try to set boundaries or you can sort of even talk to him about it. But I also get the impression that, and I don't know if this person is older or what, but I get the impression sometimes from men in power where, and this is like bosses that I've had at work or things like that, where, or like my dad's friends, where like they just have never been told, hey, don't say that. So like never and like not once in their lives. So, so they just say things. Like, they just think that they have carte blanche to just say whatever because nobody has ever been like, I don't like that because it's awkward. It's awkward to be like in the middle of a a, a group or to be, you know, to even later bring up, hey, I didn't like that. Nobody wants to do it. People don't like confrontation unless you're my sister. Nobody likes that. So like, it's hard because, you know, this is, I think, a two-hander where it's like, You're taught to sort of feel guilty and doubt your experiences and feel like, well, things aren't a big deal and I don't have to like trust my gut. And then this other person, I'm guessing because they're in this position of power and they feel comfortable there, probably has never been told like, hey, don't say that or I don't like that or these other sort of little like boundary things that people think makes them like unlikable. Do you know what I mean? Especially in a work situation.
0: But it sounds like she did push back in both those moments and he understood he'd done the wrong thing. I think for me, I have like two answers based on the situation that I don't quite know enough about. One answer is that it is possible that, like Gabby's talking about, this manager does have a, have a history of crossing the line and that even though he's nice and understanding, there is an ick factor about him that you are picking up on and therefore, it's hard to let go because aside from these two interactions, there is maybe an undercurrent of something there on the daily that is uncomfortable.
2: And Maybe he's not a villain. He's no. just like a, a gross dude.
0: But like, right. So like, I think that there's a the possibility that like, it's been hard to let go because. There's an element of him where it feels like there's always going to be another comment like that coming. Yeah, the vibe the is vibe like is tense. like a little weird, and and so if that feels like the case, like you don't feel confident that like he won't do this again, right? Then I think if you you know if he is someone who in the past when you've brought this up he he handles it well, I think. Um, I mean, obviously every situation is different. I think there's a scenario where you can sort of be like I I feel I feel like I should just share with you that these that these jokes have stayed with me. And I just want to make sure that like moving forward, this kind of thing doesn't happen again. Yeah. And then the other option is if like, you're like, no, that doesn't really ring true to me. Like it was just these two isolated incidents. And I don't get, I'm not, it's not so much I'm afraid it's going to happen again, but more how do I move past these two moments? Mm -hmm. Then I think it's really about like, this was not on you.
2: Right. No, None of it was your fault.
0: Like, really releasing yourself from I didn't cause this. I didn't ask for this. This was just a thing that happened to me. Mm -hmm. And therefore, me wasting my mental energy on something I had no control or responsibility over isn't serving me. How about
2: if it's like secondhand embarrassment for him, but he's not feeling the firsthand embarrassment? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, Mm. sometimes there's things where, like, somebody, is a certain way and they're not embarrassed. And then I feel secondhand embarrassment for them. And then my secondhand embarrassment is so much more lingering and powerful because (laughs) they're not feeling the firsthand embarrassment.
0: (laughs) I also think like hormones might be at play, right? You're currently pregnant. And so like you might just be a little more like anxious than you normally are. And anxiety leads to rumination. And, you know, so I think that like for me, like, it's like they say that like it's it's not helpful to tell yourself not to think something, yeah, right, yeah. So like there's can be like kind of a thing of like when you start to think about it, be like, yeah, that fucking sucked, yeah, like like letting yourself go to like when it comes up, be like that was so uncomfortable. I hated that that happened. Yeah, you know, instead of like, well, what did oh, I no, do? It wasn't that bad? It wasn't oh, that no. bad? Yeah, yeah, I yeah, Should forgive him or or did yeah. I lead anything like? just like a full validation and acknowledgement when it pops into your head that that fucking sucked. Yeah. Might make it so like, yeah, it's, it sucked, but there's nothing to solve. Yeah. Because I think a lot of time rumination becomes like, but the, is there something I can do about right, it? Right, right, right. Um, instead of just like acknowledgement that it was terrible. Right.
2: Or even like, you know, you're a female employee, he's a male manager. There's There's risk and worry that, you know, you might, people might think that you got, something at your job because you're sleeping with him or like you're married and like there might there there's real like um reason for sort of fight or flight in this situation mm-hmm. where it like affects your job it could affect your husband or or wife it could affect or partner even like you know you feel protective of your baby so for someone to like make a joke of like this is the baby belongs to someone like I get it like it would create like a little bit of a like this is my baby you know what I mean so like I just feel like the things that are joked about are these things that are super touchy. Mm -hmm. It's like three areas that are like incredibly delicate. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. So don't beat yourself up for the fact that it's been hard to get over. Totally. But hopefully like some of these strategies might might help you get there.
2: When anyone insinuates that something is going on, you should just yell, No way! He's yucky! Shut it down. You know what I mean? Shut it right down. (laughs) I would never
0: due to his grossness. Okay. Well, we hope part of that helps. <laughs> if you want to submit your international question, you can send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com. That's JustBetweetUs pod at gmail.com.
2: Up next, we got an exciting interview with our highly esteemed guest, Denise Kim. Stay tuned.
0: Just Between Welcome back to Just Between Us. It's time for the juiciest, most scandalous, most controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions.
2: This week on the show, we have Denise Kim, who rose to fame after finishing in third place on the Korean survival show K-Pop Star 5 and debuting as the main vocalist in the globally recognized K-Pop girl group Secret Number. Upon departure from the group in 2020, she has since continued her journey in music as a soloist with her fans and mass following on social media. And she hosts the new podcast
3: Amateur Hour. Hello. Hi, hi. Thank Ah. you so much for the intro. You guys are amazing. You have (laughs) so much energy. I love it.
2: (laughs) Well, I feel like I couldn't list all of your accomplishments in one breath, <laughs> even though you are quite young.
3: No, 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 no. I'm young, but I feel like the age is slowly getting to me. It's definitely been kicking my butt. I'm literally not, I don't feel as young as I used to be. Maybe it's just like all of, maybe it's all the accomplishments coming up to me now. <laughs> well, I
0: feel
2: like, okay, so like, we're here to talk about K-pop, but I know that a lot of um you guys start quite young. So like how young were you on
3: um the show and then how young do most of these like stars start? Uh, For me personally, um, with my experience, I started when I was around, I would say roughly like into it at the age of 13. Mm-hmm. But I started my music career when I was like 10 and it's been a wild ride. I've been in it for about like over 10 years now, but starting in K-pop was when I was around 13. And I would say that's like a pretty normal age to start in K-pop, which is kind of crazy to think, because I was barely hitting puberty. And I was being thrown into training and going into all these things. I was thrown on a survival show where I knew absolutely little to none Korean. And I was just going at it and struggling. And I was like, hi, I'm the foreigner. (laughs) And that was just my tagline. My tagline was, I am the foreigner who just wants to sing. And singing is my life and whatever it is. That was my whole cliche. And I would say from my experience, that's how I started but I would say a lot of people start around like… If they're really young, they're picked up at like the ages of like 10 to 11. But luckily I had two more years on me. So I was 13. Um, I became an official trainee when I was 15. And then from there I started like going and then I debuted at the age of 19.
0: Okay, Okay. all these terms. I don't even know what you're talking about. Take (laughs) us through exactly how it all works because it sounds like it's a very different system over there. Like a
3: boot camp. It Honestly, kind of from my experience, a lot of people know the K-pop. If they're familiar with the K-pop scene, you're casted or you audition from a young age or whatever age you go in. There are people who debut in their 20s, which is kind of more of a rare case because most K-pop groups go for about seven years once they debut which is a long time thinking about in retrospect, but that's about the timeline of most K-pop groups and the lifeline of them. But whenever it comes down to it, most of these um, people are picked up from younger ages so that they are able to train for X amount of years. I trained for a total, I would say about three years. And
0: who's training you?
3: Companies. So they get taken in by these companies that are... Known to train these individuals and train them in vocal dance, um, sometimes acting languages, and um, just how to be broadcasted and how to be able to build your character so people, so you're different. And then so, how people will you to basically bring out the best sides of you that you can show and that makes you likable or whatever it is, and pulling out your best traits so that you're able to show the audience or the public your best side. So it makes you marketable, I guess, for lack of better words, because in the end, it is a market. It is a business. So... That's kind of how my thing was. And luckily I was, you know, um, well, I don't know. Well, I'm American. So because of that, I obviously had what they call American swag, which I heard a lot growing up. And I kind of (laughs) didn't know how I felt about that term. So I was like, all right. I don't think it's a bad term to have, but I was like, I'm just American. I don't know about the swag part, but (laughs) I'm just pulling in with what I got. So I was trained in vocal dance, um, Korean because it wasn't my first language. And then also um, did a ton of other things where I had to like learn how to take selfies for a while and I failed so badly at it. If people who are listening, who knew me during my career as an idol, which is what they call them here in Korea, I was like infamous for not having pictures of myself. I was so (laughs) bad at taking photos. So... It's much easier being behind a mic. It's just so much easier because… First of all, I have really shaky hands. I don't know why. And (laughs) it's just really bad for me. I'm not a person that's like… I should take a photo of myself. Like not saying that people who do do that are like… It's not a a bad thing. It's just Clearly a skill. It's a skill. (laughs) It's a skill that I have not obtained. So um, it was crazy. And then I would practice, you know… Like making sure I knew what to say in certain situations. I was very good at talking… So I would speak a lot and I practice public speaking and you learn all these things. Like you practice being in a music video before you're in a music video. So you would turn on, they would turn on a song and it would be like a weekly evaluation where you would practice your facial expressions or lip syncing or whatever it was. So that whenever it came time to film a music video, you weren't awkward. It's Mm -hmm. a completely different world and you learn so many things about yourself. Oh, you exercise, you um, practice your image, um, finding out what angles are your best angles, what your best side is, I guess. I never found out which side what mine was. I'm still <laughs> figuring that out. So those are my personal experiences. And that's kind of what I learned during my, my K-pop career and how I guess the industry is built in terms of the training. Okay, okay.
0: Yeah, I have a thousand questions.
2: Okay, so you, you are American. Mm-hmm. You're born in Texas. Yes. Your parents are from Korea.
3: Yes. Immigrated from a young age. You go back to Korea. Why? See, that was the funny part where I was kind of going, you know, my grandparents, their dream was to immigrate and they uh, made this whole thing and they worked their butts off to immigrate from South Korea to America for me to come right back. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I actually had never had any intentions of going into K-pop or into the um, Korean market. It just happened that way for me in happenstance where I was working on music in America and pursuing my career where I got casted for the survival show that I was put into. And I was just doing little local concerts and singing in my hometown. Like I was just singing in Houston and doing all these things with Houston where I'm from. And I just got a couple of emails or whatever was saying, hi, we're doing a global audition and we're really interested if you would like to come and try out. And at that point, you know, I'm like 13. I'm like, oh, you know, like, why not? And I talked to my parents about it. We just did the audition. And then from there, my life has been like that since then, which is crazy. So it's like one thing could just change the trajectory of my life.
2: So what is a survival show? What did you and your parents go back to Korea for you to do?
3: A survival show in Korea is basically what they call a reality show that has stages in a way where you can excel and perform. Whereas in America, I guess you would say you would coin it as like whenever the X factor was really big or the voice or whatever it was, that was essentially what they're having in Korea. But in Korea, the fact that they call it a survival show just means, I guess it's that much more brutal. I don't really know, but it was crazy. I just, you're preparing for missions and... You have team missions and you have like solo missions, and you go out and you're just being judged by this these three panelists who are um, well renowned for some of the top companies in Korea, and these are the companies that I explained earlier that take in these individuals and train them or whatever it is, and so that's how I got started, but it was completely not planned. I really went into it going oh, why not? I had no intention of being in K-pop. I really had no thoughts at all. I was 13. So at that point, I was just like, oh, you know, When am I going to stop having chicken legs? Like, that was my biggest concern at that point.
0: (laughs) So then, like, these companies, you'll sign a deal with them. And are they, like, giving you a salary while you're in training? And then they get a percentage of whatever money you make once you become debuted? Or do you just continue to get a salary and they make all the profit?
3: So this is the tricky part. Um, I believe it has changed a lot in the industry. But way back when, or in a lot of situations similar to mine... You get taken in by a company and depending on the company, since your trainee days, they will take care of everything for you. House, especially if you're um, with like a foreigner like me, where they'll take care of your housing, your food, your training, your everything. So all the lessons you're going into, it's like a school, imagine, but you're going in every day from what time to what time. And you're getting lessons every single day, whether it's vocal, dance, um, language, all of these other things. Like, they're like You take electives, but you go in, you train all the extra time that you have to yourself. You train by yourself. And sometimes they have a set schedule time. Sometimes they do not. Majority of times they do have a set schedule time when you're a trainee. And then as you're doing that, you kind of sometimes will have no guarantee that you will debut. Being a mm-hmm. trainee is also kind of cutthroat Where in a way you could get cut at any time. And you have monthly evaluations that you go in. So once a month you'll go in, you'll perform for, say, the head of your company and you'll show them what you've been working on with the chance of you, I guess, for lack of better words, failing where you could get a good score or you could get a lower score or you could just get cut altogether if they realize that kind of like, oh, we don't see any more potential or we feel we can't do anything else with you. Which is crazy because, you know, not saying that it's bad because, you know, it's better off in that way. But then it's like, these are people's dreams that are at stake. And to have that on the line at such a young age was absolutely crazy. But for me, I never had that issue because I had this weird thing in me that I was kind of just going like, oh, if I, I can get by on what I do. Like I had a lot of confidence in my ability as a singer and in my ability to work hard. So I never had a concern in terms of being cut, but I have seen a lot of people be cut or like leave or no longer be in the companies. And it's crazy because you'll wake up one day and they're like, oh, that person's not here anymore. It's like, what? And it's just, it's insane because you're going, oh, (laughs) we had this dream together or whatever it was, or like we were really good friends and things like that. And it was, I was in a total of two K-pop companies and um, they worked a little differently, but. There are some companies I hear that, well, the thing is, after you debut, everything that you do, the music videos and all of that, there's really, you don't necessarily always, you don't get a salary, honestly, but sometimes they will give you allowance. But in the end, overall, you do have to pay it back. So it becomes debt. And whether that be some companies, they will take in the amount that they get from starting from your training and you go in as a trainee and you'll sign a contract. And it could be a trainee contract or it could be a contract till debut, which explains like from the day that you debut, that's seven years of your life. Or um, you can negotiate, which is what I did a lot of the time, because once I realized that I could get a lawyer and I could negotiate these terms, I was like, oh, I'm doing that (laughs) because I have commitment issues. I can't sign away seven years of my life. I can barely like I can barely hold down one place to live half the time. So it's very hard to commit to something like that for me. But It just a lot of times situations didn't turn out to be the most favorable in my place, especially in terms of health and things like that, which is where I struggled a lot. But um, luckily, I was able to exit gracefully, especially whenever I felt like I needed to or it just wasn't um, working well with the company and we just had to separate ways. But um, a lot of times companies, as far as I know, or I have heard some better ones where they do get monthly salaries and monthly cuts from the album sales or whatever money they make. But a lot of times, more often than not, it does rack up to debt. So music videos, promotions, hair and makeup, every expense that's going outwards, you do in the end have to pay back. And until you pay that amount back, you have debt. And until you cover that debt, you are not getting income. And that is as pretty much I'm pretty sure a lot of people who are familiar with the K-pop industry will kind of know that. But yeah, it's like a joke, running joke in the K-pop community where it's like, "Oh yeah, my crushing debt is just coming for me." So it's that kind of thing. So they view you as an investment. Yeah. And you're and it's a school
2: and they're not paying. So how are you living? How are your
3: parents living? Like how So essentially, as a trainee, you are relying on that company to kind of give you everything. And more often than not, from the companies that I was in, I was um, very well provided in terms of food, housing, all of these things. You live in a dorm majority of times where you, it's a college, imagine, but you could get dropped. You could get dropped at any time from your college kind of thing. Oh my
2: God. But then once you debut, how is anybody making... And income. You don't make any money. So how you do don't. you, how are you living? Do you the live in a dorm? care of everything
3: for you. Company takes care of everything for you majority of times. And that's in a way the comfort of having a company. But at the same time, it is the restriction. Because in yeah. that way, you kind of have to do whatever the company tells you to do. Or else you can't really, like, they, they, you know, they're taking care of everything for you. So for you to be like, I don't want this. You can't really say that. Are you living in the dorms even
0: once you've debuted?
3: Yes, because whenever it comes down to like schedules and early call times, I used to get up at like three. I would get in at like 1 a.m. after after we would do our whole day and then practice. And then 3.30 a.m. would be our call time. And then so we would have to be in the car by 3.30 a.m. and get to the hair and makeup salon by four and start the day all over again. So since those times are so short and so like, early and close, it's easier to have everyone all together in one room. But hypothetically, I get why it's like smarter and more efficient. But in reality, it's very difficult because no matter how much you love people and care about them, you know, you live with your family, you fight with them. You know what I mean? So it's difficult. But um, in the end, you know, like it very much becomes like a family situation. We're going, oh, we all are going through this right now. We're all just very tired. We are all just very like worn out. We don't, not like each other. We're just we just don't like anything right now. Yeah.
2: What is the the benefit? Like so people are seeing this as this huge dream. Like what what are you guys seeing as like these benefits or like when you debut, what what
3: happens to you? What changes in your life? Well, when you debut, if you do well, best case scenario, you become kind of an overnight star where You take off, um, you're able to do more promotions and what they have called music shows here in Korea, which is essentially what it sounds like where all of these new groups and these like senior idols and all these other um, girl groups, boy groups, like all these people, they'll come out and they just perform. And those are like daily. They have those every single day and on different broadcasting channels, which is crazy to me. So the better you do, the more opportunities you have, the more people know you. And in the end, it is to be a star. You know what I mean? It's to be this goal of being able to be viewed and be, I guess, for quote unquote, famous and things like Idols. that. Exactly. And the thing is, it's so hard because being an idol basically means you kind of have to be perfect all of the time in the name in itself. And you are running on like two hours of sleep you have not had a proper meal in ages you are literally on the verge of breaking down at any second and they're like you have you have full makeup on at all times you're fully dressed everything you wear has been picked out by a stylist you are ready to go but you are like internally like rotting away
2: oh my god that was scenario.
3: To me. <laughs> oh my god that was my scenario so if you're a
0: big deal and you're like one of the most famous groups like by the time Those seven years are up. Have you made your own money? Like, what do you do for the rest of your life?
3: Best case scenario you have and you were able to be famous enough to cover your debt and you could make money in that way and you don't have debt left and you have more income coming in than outcome going out because of the fact that you're doing comebacks, which is what they call like whenever they have a, you know, like a comeback album or whatever it is and they're doing more touring or whatever it is. It's... Your hope is that you're getting more and more fans and more and more people paying attention to you so that you no longer have to worry about the expense going out.
2: What are the fans like? I know that I'm asking this in a way that I already know that they're um, (laughs) very intense. Like, what are the fans like and what do they expect from idols?
3: Oh, they are, like you said, very intense. I've met a lot of fans through a lot of different opportunities. All the fans that I've met have been really sweet and really great. I have seen and been, I don't frequent it a lot, but the internet, I have seen some fans, however, are very passionate, for lack of better words. um, (laughs) And they will go, they will go so hard to protect those that they care about in terms of like their celebrities that they care about. And I've seen what they call, I guess, the toxic side of the K-pop fan community, where I think people just end up taking out their own frustrations and their own lives out on other people for this person that they feel so strongly for. What would make them turn against you? Sometimes there's like what they call scandals here where, you know, it could be a lot of things. It could be dating. It could be smoking. It could be um, drinking. It could be Whatever it is, honestly, in my opinion, it's kind of just being a normal person sometimes really turns them off, or yeah, apparently dating is very big because of the fact that um, this might be a secret in the k-pop industry, but I don't know. But the reason that they don't want people to date, like idols to date idol, to, uh, idols to date in general, is because they want you to be single and portrayed out there as single so that people feel like they have a chance with you. right and if you're publicly with somebody else then obviously it kind of kills that but i don't really know how true that is but that's what i've heard and i had no issue with that because i was just so very career driven and focused i was like i don't have time to be dating or anything mm-hmm. i was also i was also like in my teens so i wasn't like growing out of my way to like i need to find a spouse or something yeah. so it wasn't really an issue for me but that is something that they have where Or they could just do something or say the wrong thing or people pay attention to everything and will scrutinize everything. And you could just be really tired. Like I've seen people around me get so much stuff for just the littlest things where they would have said a certain thing and their voice tone would have been a little more down. Or when someone else was talking, they just kind of were like, sitting there really quietly it could be oh did you see their expression they were so annoyed to be there they don't like that person I think they're fighting people will stir up beef sometimes I'm kind of going where are you getting this from oh my god Or 90% of the time I'm just kind of going they're probably just tired yeah. I'm not gonna lie <laughs> yeah.
0: so what was your personal trajectory like you know you said you were worked with two different companies and now you're kind of out of that system and, and doing your own music so what when did you decide like what was best for you
3: For me, I didn't dislike K-pop or anything at all. A lot of people have the misconception that that I came out because I kind of went, K-pop's not for me. It's not what I want to do. It never was, which was never really the case. I genuinely loved what I did. Being an idol was fun. I think it was definitely a little period of my life where I can look back on and kind of go, oh, I did that, you know? But it was never really for those reasons. It was just other reasons that I can't really fully disclose. And I know that there's a lot of fans or people out there that want to know what, I guess, actually happened. But in the end, no one really has to explain. You just kind of have to take it and run with it. There's a thousand other things in the world that we don't know about. And trust me, this is sadly going to be one of those for a while. You know what I mean? It's not just between me. And the last thing I want to do is hurt anybody else's reputation or image or whatever it is because I want the truth to be out there. So for me, I ended up just parting ways because I had um, some personal issues and then we weren't able to really fully compromise. And all in all, it just ended up being like, all right, then the two of us will just kind of part ways. And that's Mm kind of how it went, all in all. But um, my contract this year ended in February. And since then, I've been doing my own solo activities, whether it's been radios or my amateur hour podcast. And also, like, I started Twitch streaming, which was really funny for me because I'm so bad with technology. So I don't know (laughs) why I thought that was a good idea. And also just being able to go and be able to make my own music again, which was something I always wanted to do. My biggest thing was I always spoke about this very openly as well was. I never had any intentions of getting into K-pop. I was very much just someone who wanted to make music and sing. Mm -hmm. And the whole dancing and everything else part came along with it. And I always loved to dance. So being an idol really worked for me because like, oh, I get to sing, dance and do all this extra stuff and it's really fun. But the pressure of it was a lot. I'm not going to lie. Yeah. Not to say that I wasn't grateful for everything that I got. It was just the fact that, yeah, that pressure was a lot on me and Overall, I enjoyed my experience, but I came out and then I decided, you know, things happen, life changes, you know, we can have a plan and suddenly that plan can go straight to hell. And from there, we try to pick up the pieces and find the best case scenario that we can. And mine was just, all right, well, in that case, I'm just going to continue doing my own music and doing what I guess I want to do. So I've been an independent artist for a while. I'm releasing a new EP at the end of this year, which will be like my first official EP that I'm releasing. And that's really exciting. And I've just been working with a lot of different producers and going to song camps and working on a lot of music. That's mainly why the reason I came back to Korea, because after um, February, I left Korea and um, took a break in America for a while. I went home and then I came back in um, April of this year and I've been here since. So I originally was supposed to just stay for the summer and kind of have it be like a summer internship kind of experience. But then I ended up extending my stay and I've been here for all about six months, a little over six months. And I'm planning on staying here for a few more months until just to see like what I could do in a year of time in Korea by myself with no company, with mm-hmm. no external things. Because I've always been in Korea because I had a company mm-hmm. and I wanted to see what I could do without the company just as an experience, just to be like, all right, I just wanted to kind of see if I could adult in my mm-hmm. own, where it's like mm-hmm. pay my own rent. Um, do all these other things, like learn about jobs. And God, I am so afraid for taxis and I don't know what I'm doing. (laughs) I was going to say, what was it like for when you could first pick out your own sweater? You know what I mean? It's different. You know, you learn a lot. You lose a lot of yourself sometimes because of the fact that so much of yourself is manufactured in terms of your image and what people perceive you as. That whenever it comes back to, whenever I dyed my hair for the first time, like the color that I felt that I wanted, I go to the salon now and I'm like, I they're like, what do you want? Because overall, before then, it would be like, hi, you have this concept. You have this kind of thing. Your hair is going to be this color. Your outfit's going to be like this. Your makeup's going to be like this. It's fun and everything. But at the same time, I wasn't allowed to cut my hair. I wasn't allowed to do all these things yeah. in terms of my image. But the second I got out, I went through that phase where I had never done that before. It was like I went through a breakup or something because I, <laughs> I cut my hair. I dyed it dark. Um, I had like things going on. And then I, this year, my hair went through a journey. Like I was, I had red hair for a while. I was blonde. And then I came back to the dark hair because I was like, Denise, you must calm down. <laughs> my scalp.
2: We're going to take a quick break for ads, but then we'll be right back with our guest.
0: Just between us. And we're back.
2: How did the fans take you leaving and changing and doing all this new stuff?
3: I had a lot of mixed responses from a lot of people. There were a lot of fans that felt very disappointed, betrayed. It was really hard to hear because as a really like insufferable people pleaser that I was for most of my life, it was hard to explain the situation without being able to fully explain it because it's not just my story to tell. And it's difficult because of the fact that there are people who are never going to know what actually happened and find it easier to just blame me. Mm -hmm. But in that way, I kind of took it after time went and ran with and I kind of sat and went, all right, well, you know, they're never going to know the truth. And I can't sit there and explain to every single person on this earth who perceives me wrongly that This isn't what actually happened. I didn't actually do that Mm -hmm. because that's just kind of foolish of me to try and sit there and explain my part when in reality, I don't think they want to listen anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's rough, but I'm really happy for my group and we're all still really good friends. So I'm really glad that we were able to keep that relationship and that I'm able to support them from the sidelines and also for them to support me while I'm doing my own thing. Mm -hmm. And also just to have good relationships with people around me in terms of um, the fans that do support me and loved me when I was in my group and also exiting my group and doing my own thing now, not just because they love me as a member of Secret Number, but just as a person in general, whether it was my personality or whatever, is I it, for me, I'm just like my personality. I'm like I don't know how you could like that, but go on. So <laughs> I'm like thanks. Anyways, it's the um, American swag. It is the American swag. <laughs> that was my coin thing. They would call it American. They called me Texas swag, and I was like, Oh my god! I'll run with it. I was like, I'll take, okay, I'll take it. I'll take whatever at that point. <laughs> oh my god! Is your music now in English or Korean? It's mostly in English, but I do write in Korean as well. So. I've taken time this year to start writing for other people, whether it's other artists, um, K-pop groups, whatever it is, and just really perfecting and improving my artistry in terms of not just my own for my own songs, but writing for other people as well. So I can kind of have that double-edged sword.
2: What do you see as like the future of this machine? Because how, I don't know when it started, but how, how can this keep going? And is this just going to keep going forever and ever?
3: The K-pop industry has been going on for a while. It's been going on since I would say like that it took off like 1990s, I would say. And it's changed a lot and it's progressing. And I think it's turning a lot in favor of those working, the individuals, where before it was all just kind of company driven in terms of um, the company gets a lot of the profit and gets a lot of whatever it is that they gain, a lot of gain from it. But Mm -hmm. And then the individuals that were working, they get, The fame and Mm -hmm. for a while I guess that might have worked but now I I think people are realizing yo we kind of gotta eat and live too like on our own so I feel that now that a lot of the the ugly side of k-pop has been exposed over the years whether it's from other idols in the industry or from ex-idols or from other people that have just worked around it I've seen a lot of companies turn their heads and turn their favors towards the individuals and realize that you can't treat these people like machines. Like it doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. And I've seen a lot of other artists like open up about their mental health struggles and things like that and how hard it is. Because when you start from such a young age, you mentally stop aging at that point. And that was something that I had to face as well, where I went into it so young that whenever like I had a whole thing this year in 2022 where I was going I have been faking it this whole time where I was always like you're so mature for your age or whatever it is. but now I'm kind of coming to the realization I'm like I'm not that mature I'm just so good at pretending that I don't know what's real anymore and I don't know what's me on the camera and off the camera like I don't know a difference and I feel like I have to be the best version of myself all the time I just don't know how to just plainly exist. And I feel that that's something that a lot of people in the industry are figuring out now where they realize that this is going to affect the trajectory of these kids' lives forever. So they want to improve that. So I've seen a lot of companies with that my friends have been in that have been giving them salary paychecks like once a month from as much as they make. And they still have like debt or whatever it is, but that's slowly getting covered as they make money. So it gives them incentive and it gives them reasons to keep going. And they also give them like a specific day off or whatever it is. And I think it's still kind of in terms of they can't always move in favor of the individual because of the fact that the industry is so high demand and moving so fast. Like there's new groups coming out every day. Mm -hmm. And it's the sad truth that you can be replaced at absolutely any moment by anyone whether it's in your group, whether it's by another group, whether it's whatever it is, like everyone's fighting for that spot because if you're not in that spot, somebody else is going to take it. Mm -hmm. So it's such a high stake cutthroat scene that everyone's trying to be at the top that it's so difficult to slow down.
0: Did you get any days off? Did you ever get vacation? Did you ever see your parents? Like what (laughs) was it? Did you go to regular school as well? Or did your kind of like
3: formal education stop at 13? No. So school for me is something that I was always kind of not as not I would say passionate about. I always did well in school but I was just kind of going I'm not going to drop out and my parents like you also are not going to drop out. So (laughs) I went and I did online school for majority of my life since I started my career and made the choice of starting my career so young. So since The last year of school that I went to normally was fifth grade. And then since the sixth grade, I was online schooled. And I went to normal like school, I would say here and there, where seventh grade, I went to school for like five months and then in person and then high school for my freshman year. I went to performing arts school for like two months before I took off to Korea. And aside from that, though, everything was always online schooled. I graduated high school online and next year... I'm going to college, which is really interesting because that's something I pushed for a while because at my age now, I should technically be graduating. But it's kind of the thought of me going back in as a student that kind of freaks me out a little bit. But mm-hmm. my pursuit of education has kind of always been there where I know that education is a route that everyone takes for a reason. And there's a big degree. There's a big difference of having the degree and not having a degree, which not saying that you need a degree to succeed, but it, I can see trying to work in the industry and in the world in general as someone without a degree, without an undergrad degree and seeing with an undergrad degree, like even when I'm applying for jobs on LinkedIn, like the number of times I just get cut because of the fact that I don't have a degree is crazy.
0: yeah, did you get vacations? I gotta know.
3: Oh yeah, vacations um I kind of did um sometimes um when you're on a break between comebacks, you get a little bit of time off to rest. So that's kind of how it works. Where you will be preparing for debut. You'll debut. You have a little bit of time, and then you'll have a comeback. And then f- a couple months, I would say, like three months prior, three four months prior to that comeback, you're working. You're in the recording studio. You're taking photos. You're filming your music video, whatever it is. Um, the mixing and the mastering process, all of this stuff. And then you do your comeback. You do promotions for about a month. So that would be your music shows that would be going on YouTube channels that would be going on reality shows and just getting your face out to wherever you can doing interviews, anything. And then after that, you finish promotions and then you'll take a little, I guess, break because it's kind of messed up where you would think that where in general, you kind of would separate it out where it's like, oh, you know, let's do like this much for one week, take a little bit of time off or like take like three days a week and we'll go out mm-hmm. and do really big. And the other days we'll take like slow because that's just kind of how the human mind works where you need rest in between. Sadly, you know, you wish you could just charge yourself up and then keep going like a phone battery. But that is sadly not how it works <laughs> where um, you have to rest and you have to you will do so half the time whenever I was on stage I was not always in my best condition because of the fact that I was so tired and that I was so stressed because of the fact that I'm like go 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 I have to be somewhere else I have to be doing something I'm getting my hair makeup done I'm reading the script for the next thing and there's no time for your brain to rest. I was running on so much caffeine. It was mm. ridiculous. So I feel like that's partially why my hands still shake because like it's still like residual caffeine in my brain. But <laughs> I did get some time off and I would see my family or my family would come visit me. And the small amount of time that I did have in between things, they would come see me or I would see them. And that was always kind of like a nice grounding moment where I was kind of going, oh, I'm still a human being. I still mm. have something to look someone who looks after me and it's not because it's their job, it's because they actually want to. Not saying that the people who look after me regardless don't care about me, but you know, it's different whenever it's like your parents.
2: Right. Well, how did they figure out who's in your group? How do they split everyone up?
3: Yeah, that's kind of always really interesting because I went into two companies and then both companies, it's kind of like the first company I was in, they were different teams. So it was like A team, B team, C team. A team is obviously kind of where you want to be. Basically, you're not even like trying to... It's like A and B team are interchangeable where they'll split them up into different teams in terms of who they think will do well with other people in terms of like whether they match up vocally, visually, in terms of concept, they feel like they match. And then they'll do like a mix and match every time, couple months, like you'll switch around. They'll put the groups together, like whatever it is. And it's really interesting because it's very much like just trial and error. And so whenever I was in that company, that's kind of how it went for me. And then in the second company that I was in, when I went in, there were only my group members. So by that time, once we got, I was the last member to be added. By the time that I went in, we kind of were like, all right, we have all the roles filled, whether it was like main vocal, main dancer, um, which they have all these terms coined, like visual, Um, rapper and all these things so you there are so many prospects to a k-pop group that are needed which is like a main vocalist which was me which is like the person who takes most of the vocal parts or the hardest vocal parts the main dancer who's going to take most of the dance breaks and it's going to be like their main dancer and then we have the rapper which is always not always included but is a lot of times there in a K-pop group because K-pop is very heavily influenced and um has a lot of rap parts in them so it keeps up with it. it keeps the song repetition from being too mundane and it keeps it going you have a visual which is kind of the face of the group who's going to go out and be your center and it's going to be for lack of better words the prettiest or the most handsome and it's going to bring people in from just like visually that they're they're going to bring people in. And then from main, it gets broken down into lead where it's like from the main, you could be a lead. You could be a main vocal and a lead dancer or like a main, a main dancer and a lead vocal where you'll also be a singer or whatever it is. And it gets broken down into all these. And then there's sub after that, which is crazy. So I'm like, I never got really that deep into it. I was just main vocal. And at that point, I was like very happy with my position. I was like, I can do this. And I will stick with that. So I went with it.
0: <laughs> this is wild stuff.
3: I
2: know. It's so interesting, especially as someone who's just a casual like fan of the ones who've crossed over into the U.S., mm-hmm. which must be huge. I mean, so how how has that been for Korea to see these groups, you know, cross over and perform with, you know, Selena Gomez or perform in the US or perform with Gaga or whatever it is, or like Taylor Swift is posting their video. You know, like how how has that sort of changed it to cross over now?
3: I think now it's the reality that it is very possible that now mm-hmm. K-pop is such a world-renowned topic and genre that it's to the point where the goal became so much bigger, where it's not just becoming big in Korea or wherever it is that it's stationed, but to become big worldwide and globally. So my group was more well-known whenever I was in it globally, more than say in Korea, because we were marketed as a global girl group, because we had a um, me from this, we had me and another member from the States. We had an Indonesian member, we had a Japanese member, and then we had our Korean member. And it was like a very diverse group of girls. And so we all spoke different languages. It was um, really interesting to see how that kind of formed and came together. but and that's why they train you in languages now. like whenever you because not only do you have to do um, you have to do promotions in Korea, you also go out and you tour and you do different um, stages in different world areas of the world. So you can go to Thailand or Indonesia or Japan or the u s and things like that and you want to be able to be capable to interact with your fans and you'll learn new languages to try and keep up with it or you'll learn enough so that... Or sometimes they'll do a debut in a different country. So a lot of K-pop groups, they'll do a Japanese debut and their song will be in Japanese and they'll sing and they'll perform them in Japan and they'll do a, J- a Japan release, which is crazy, like super, super intense. Like I could not imagine. I'm a casual watcher of anime and if I had to imagine singing in that language, my I learned that... Um, that song Iwa, and I was like my brain was like breaking when I was trying to learn that song <laughs> because like the lyrics are so fast and it's um, a different language obviously so my brain doesn't work as quickly in it and yeah. it's just me trying to memorize these lyrics and so in that way it's very interesting the way that k-pop has become such a worldwide global thing that I think the goal now is to get Into the pocket where so many artists like BTS, Blackpink and all these Mm -hmm. other artists have come into where it crossed it over into the American market.
2: I find it so interesting, like when you see Blackpink on a song and some of them are singing in Korean and it's and it's a a U.S. song Mm -hmm. and they're singing some in Korean, some in English. Like it's wild to I don't think like 10 years ago you would hear Korean on an American top 40 radio station. You just wouldn't. It's like a a change you can really like see and like look at the numbers on. It's wild.
3: It's very interesting the way that K-pop blew up and then K-culture as well, whether it's a Korean food, Korean dramas, like all of these things Mm -hmm. got so big so quickly. Like I think that Korea is a country that blew up so fast Mm -hmm. that it really, for me as someone who grew up in a very rural part of um, Houston, Texas, where I got asked, like, are you Chinese or Japanese? Whenever I was given the, uh, when I was asked about, like, where I was from, obviously, when I said I was from Korea, they knew nothing about it. So coming out now, they're like, oh, you're Korean. Like, you know, K-pop, you know, like all this other stuff. I'm like, people are very, very kind of well-cultured about it, which is kind of crazy because it, it was not a place that people really knew much about growing up. Yeah.
0: I have a lot to think about, but now I have to ask if you'd like to play a game show. Of
3: course, I would love to. <laughs> Thank you for letting me ramble.
0: No, oh, so no it's interesting. so fascinating. I have like a billion more questions, but we do have a time limit. Um, <laughs> so this game is called Hypotheticals. You and Gabby will be my contestants. I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations. You can ask any clarifying questions you might have, and then you tell me what you would do in that situation. Um, and then we chat about it. And, mm. and sometimes I pick a winner. All righty. And I'm cut. Yeah, yes. <laughs> this is one of you won't be at the here at the end of the game. Oh my <laughs> so our first game is America's favorite game show. Would you stay with this cheater?
3: Oh, my gosh.
0: While in the hospital for a life threatening illness, your partner of 42 years admits that every year on their birthday, they go to a bar during their lunch hour and try to find someone cute to hook up with because you have always said they get to do whatever they want on their birthday, and they figured this was a cool loophole. But now that they are maybe dying, they really regret it.
3: Would you stay with this cheater? Oh my gosh! I'm gonna let you go first on this. I want to see what you have to say.
2: <laughs> so I love to ask follow ups. Okay, so when are they gonna die?
0: Well, it's a life threatening illness. They may or may not die. They never told me about this. No, no, but you had always said it's your birthday, your day, you get to do whatever you want on your birthday. And how often were they successful in the 42 years? In the 42 years, they were successful 27 times. Okay, I gotta go. (laughs) I
3: absolutely have to go. Denise? Okay, so my thing is like, Mm, life-threatening illness. Oh, yeah. I'm so sorry. I got a dip too. Like this is not good. Like f- how many years? Forty two. Forty two years. years, and they were successful twenty-seven times. Whenever I say, you know, do whatever you want, you're worth it. I think that that's a line where it's like absolutely anyone in their right mind would be like, <laughs> yeah, let's. We're not going to cross that line. And honestly, for me, I'd be like, it's your birthday. I feel like we should spend it together or with your family. So you shouldn't be not having leeway to cheat at that point. So yeah.
0: they, just, they do just do it on their lunch hour. That's even worse. And on the years that it's been on a weekend, they didn't do it. OK, here's my question, though. <laughs> I would rather you commit time
2: theft against your company.
0: <laughs>
2: that at least then I agree with you politically.
0: But that he was on your lunch hour. It's even worse. Yeah. Come
2: see me during your lunch hour. <laughs>
3: What am I doing? I don't... Yeah, I don't get the whole... I've never understood... The only time I've been close to understanding why people cheat is because I was watching New Girl and there's a part where Schmidt like cheats on two girls at once. I was like, wait, I kind of... I understand where he's coming from. He actually loves both of them, but screw you, Schmidt. (laughs) So... You know, like life threatening or not, it's the fact that this had to be a life threatening illness for them to come forward and tell me. I'm like, you could have taken that to the grave. You could have been real slick about it. But no. Right. Not even smart. I think I would,
0: in my head, break up with them, but then, you know, continue to visit them at the hospital. I see. Support them. And then if they die, (laughs) if they die, see you later. And then if they survive, once they survive, I'd be like, we're done. No,
2: you show up. It's their birthday at the hospital. You walk in on them railing a nurse. Oh, my God. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not.
3: That's fair. I, I I don't know. I couldn't condone it, to be honest. I feel like I would be so heartbroken. And I was yeah. just like, the yeah. trust is gone at that point where I'm like, I guess. Thank you for telling me. But overall, screw you. But yeah. I am like a hype. I am like an insufferable people pleaser, which I'm getting over now. But. I would probably do like I would visit them in the hospital or, or whatever it is. If if they die, it's just like I right, deuces. But you know, if not, then it is very much like hi. So, you know, I really wanted to support you in your time of struggle. But considering you have added to my struggle, I feel that it is best for us to part ways, like starting now.
2: Yeah. I someone accidentally just pulls the plug on their legs. <laughs>
0: someone? <laughs> Me. It was you. <laughs> okay that's so we're all on the same page yeah <laughs> so our next one are you a terrible parent okay your child 12 has one friend who was really really annoying okay one night after having to spend all day with this friend you make some joking remarks about how they drive you bananas okay your child is shocked to hear you say this and had no idea you found their friend annoying the next day, they come home from school and tell you they have good news. They friend broke up with the annoying kid so you wouldn't have to see them anymore. Are you a terrible parent?
3: Yes. Mm. Yes. What Was the, the friend there whenever I made the joking remarks? No. No, okay. it was after they went
0: home.
2: Was the friend annoying in the sense that they were negative to my child? No. Okay, then I'm a bad parent. Mm-hmm. Because... Because a lot of little kids are annoying. Mm-hmm. Right. A lot of children are annoying. Yeah. Uh, and then they grow up and they either become annoying adults like I did or they just become regular adults like I did. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just saying that like I feel like I feel like that's you're teaching your kid to like nitpick people. No, I think you're terrible. This might be the worst parent that they've ever been.
0: Really? Yeah, it's mean. It's you bullying. gotta give the annoying kids a chance. What about that time when there, there was like a pee bath? This oh, yeah, worse. that was bad. No, this is worse. <laughs> I think it's bullying. Is it not bullying?
3: I feel that, you know, like you said, I think kids are kind of meant to be annoying at some point in their lives. Like you can't, they can't help it. You know, they're trying to just figure out how to navigate situations and be social. Like kids are just kind of annoying sometimes. You can't help it. But you know, if you're having kids, you're kind of signing up for a lifetime of that. So right. I would say that that is a fault on the parent's side because I was an annoying kid. And I like to think that I've become a less annoying adult. But the the term that I grew up with the most was that I was really annoying. And I have an older sister, mm. so I can like mark bread. And think it wasn't even just because she was trying to be mean. It's just like the term that comes out immediately. It's like, you're so annoying. And, you know, yeah. like, I just want to be so much like my older sister. So I was like that girl. And I, I get it. You know what I mean? So to nitpick and be that person that's like, and you're an adult, like, what do you? And that's that like, what do you know about kids? You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> been like, what, 20, 30 years since you've been one? Like, you try being that age again and see if you're not annoying. So yeah, I would say… Not the greatest parenting moment there. But the for the kid to go out of their way and be like, I friend broke up with them so you don't have to see them again. 10 out of 10 on that kid's part. Dang, they're a real one.
0: <laughs> see, I'm thinking like, I think you kind of have to know your kid, right? Because like some kids would just hear their their parent make a joke and not think anything of it. Exactly. Right. Whereas some parents would go the next day and break up with their friend. <laughs> yeah. So that's on you for not knowing your kid and also for being mean behind a little kid's back. Yeah, yeah. that's so,
2: yeah. You can
0: complain about that kid. To like your partner, but not the Not the child. Yeah, exactly.
3: Why would you tell tell your kids you're, I don't know, JK. I'm not, I'm a parent, like I'm a dog parent, but (laughs) she's got no other friends at that point. So she's a (laughs) a baby. So I'm like going to keep her that way at this point. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Okay. So our last game, would you forgive this liar? Oh God. You have been with your partner for four years and love to tell the story of how you met by bumping into each other in a grocery store. You were complete strangers who decided to take a risk and get coffee. One day, you are out shopping together and bump into an old colleague of yours you haven't seen in forever. This colleague is shocked to see you with your partner, but they also seem to know from college. It comes out that seven years ago, your old colleague tried to set your current partner up on a date with you, but they passed because they didn't like your photo. (gasps) So when you bumped into each other four years ago, they secretly already knew who you were, but thought you looked better in person. Would you forgive this liar who pretended to know nothing about you? Cue Taylor Swift's mastermind. (laughs) I (laughs) know, Personally,
3: I would. I think that that's viable. Like, honestly, for someone who doesn't take a lot of pictures, I'm like, you know, you probably are right. So second of all, it's just (laughs) kind of like, as a person who is and lives by Taylor Swift's newest Midnight's album. (laughs) I I get it. Like, I will procure and make, like, a thing and be, like, if I'm into someone, I'll just be like, I'm in your area. It's like, JK, I've been in your area just so I could say, like, you want to get coffee kind of thing. I will go out of my way to make the situation be in my favor as much as possible. So... In this situation, I might be the other person. <laughs> I would give them. I would say it's funny. I would be like, "Oh, that's hilarious." You know what I mean? And if we're happy together now, I don't see why it would be that big of a deal. But I would be like, "Yo," so I would like I would drag it on. And be like I would joke, I would poke fun at them about it. But I don't think I would take it as that big of a thing.
2: I, because I guess, how do you, if you're the other person, how do you ever bring that up? Like, how do you say, like, when you bump into them at the store, you don't say oh, my God, I know you. My friend showed me your picture and I thought you were Ugo.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like,
2: how can there's no like, I'm trying and searching to think of a way in which that person could bring that up when you first meet. And I just don't I can't think of one.
0: See, because that's the thing that kills me is I think that I would be OK with them having passed on me. And it's that that They never told me. Well, maybe they could say it. Maybe when they first bumped it. Maybe you can't say it right away. But like a year in, you're not going to tell me or even like six months, a couple. Like once it becomes clear in a relationship with each other. Yeah. I feel like then you find a way to tell the story.
2: Or you can go maybe when you first you can go, oh, you look so familiar. Oh my God. Okay. My coworker actually has like a picture. I, you're in his Instagram picture or something. You know what I mean? Or like, like, yeah. Or, or you say,
0: they were going to try to set me up with you, but I just wasn't in a headspace to date. Some
2: lie. There's yeah. some lie.
0: There's some, there's and some ways you it's can on do the
2: coworker it. who's like, cause he thought you were gross. Yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the shithead. And that person's a shithead.
3: I would say that it's genuinely just kind of, I feel like in that other person's shoes, you just wouldn't genuinely know a good time to bring that up, especially if you love telling the story of how y'all met. Right. Where it's like, I don't want to oh, ruin the this mythology. person's fantasy where I'm thinking from like a two-person perspective right now where I'm going, okay, I... Because I had a friend who apparently introduced herself, but that other person heard her name wrong. And they oh, had no. been calling her that since, ever since, like for like a couple years they went to school together. And then they parted ways and she... It was just kind of at a point where it was too late for her to correct them. Oh, no. But I feel
0: like acquaintances are very different than your partner.
3: True, true.
0: Well, here's... My older brother who thought
2: that his... A different guy was his father. A different person ended up being his father. But he was like, oh, I really love all the Rocky movies because my parents, what their first date was to see the the <gasps> original Rocky movie. And I really love the Rocky movies and I feel so spiritually connected to them, whatever. He finds out at age 40 that that dad is not actually his dad. So it wasn't his parents first date. And he was like, now Rocky means nothing to me. Oh my gosh, dang. <laughs> so he was like, my parents first date was Rocky and he had been telling that story for so long. And then it like wasn't, ac- you know what I mean? So like yeah. I, people get attached to narratives. right? Let them have it. Yeah. Yeah.
3: I would just take it and run. I'd be like, you know, if we're happy now, it doesn't really matter. But, uh, you know, I would just
0: bring it up all the time.
3: Yeah. Right. I, w- I would also poke fun at it. But I think I would just be like, it's not a big deal.
0: Every time I took a photo, I I'd was, be like, what about this photo? I was about to say <laughs> would that. you say yes or no to this photo. Allison, I was,
2: <laughs> Allison, I was literally about to say
0: the exact same thing. Oh the exact same thing. That's amazing. Well, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much for joining us. And where can people find
3: you, follow you, and listen to your new EP when it's out? Oh, well, I currently have my own amateur art podcast going on that uploads bi weekly. I have Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, all the social medias, which are at Denise Kim says. And my EP will be released on all streaming platforms very soon before the year ends. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. So I'm super excited. And thank you guys so much for having me on. It's been a great honor and a great time.
0: Oh, thank, thank you. you. Stick around after the break. We'll be talking all about Gabby's top surgery.
3: Ooh. Chop, chop.
0: between us. It's time for Top X. X, 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 baby. Baby. Baby.
2: Oh, Beans reacted. <laughs> Look, Beans loved it. You like
0: that little voice?
2: Yeah, you like when we go high? Hi, Beans. Do you like- Look at his ears. He loves it.
0: Beans. He Beans. loves it. So let's talk top surgery.
2: Okay, so I was saying this before. So this is my idea for a top surgery horror movie. <laughs>
0: That not is, how we thought you'd start this topic, okay. but go for It's it. sort
2: of, it's sort of in the vein of like misery or like phantom thread where this person, um, their family is not supportive of them transitioning. So they don't tell them and then they get top surgery. And then when they come out of surgery, they open their eyes and the mom is there and she's like, Oh, I'm. So, here to support you and take you home, but, like, the person's trapped because they can't move their arms, and they're also on meds, and the mom takes them to a house to like, help them heal from top surgery, but she's really just um torturing them, oh my God, <laughs> awful, I hate this idea, and, but then, but then the person who has the top surgery they they survive they kill the mom and they survive, and their they, own
0: mom. the
2: mom is poisoning them,
0: but okay, but it is their own mom. Yeah, Who's oh, it's so like that. transphobic. No, that they're torturing it, their own child. It's
2: like that movie Run, where Sarah Paulson is like, is you know, like Gypsy Rose Blanchard. It's like that. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> okay, but it's a survival story, is what you guys are missing.
0: I don't want to watch that. It's a I sur- don't like horror movies as it is. Fine, agreed.
2: I just think there needs to be room for flawed queer protagonist. It's okay,
0: whatever. How anyway. is the protagonist flawed there.
2: No, because they're gonna um win in the end of the movie. Well, yeah, but then mom deserves to die. Exactly. So won't it feel good when she does? Oh, my God.
0: Anyway, why don't we talk about your top surgery? (laughs) Well, so by the time
2: you listen to this, it'll have already happened. And I am stoked. I'm nervous because I am nervous about the recovery and I'm nervous about the pain of recovery. And, okay, so flashback, it's 2018. Mm -hmm. I don't know uh, that... Covid's coming. No, just kidding. I don't. (laughs) I don't know um, that I'm trans. I get a breast reduction. Right. I think surely this will solve all my problems. (laughs) It doesn't. Flash forward again. I come out as trans. So that's 2021, and I'm like, well. I don't know if I want to get top surgery. And then slowly as time has gone on, I've been like, actually, this is what I wanted in 2018. I just didn't know how to ask for it.
0: Oh, and that's like, interesting.
2: Yeah, like in 2018, I was like, I feel like I was like, I even remember saying to the, to the doctor, like, can we do smaller? Is there a way to do smaller? And like over and over, I've just been like, like even when I was in high school, I would look at like Misha Barton on the OC and I'd be like, I want the little titties that she has. I think that's what I wanted the whole time is the way to like feel comfortable in my body was I wanted this, this shape or this like, you know, look that I just, I don't even know if it's necessarily gendered, hot take, hot take, but like, that's what looks better to me on me, to me. And that feels more correct. Even if I'm like, okay, I want to dress feminine again, which like has nothing to do with my actual gender then I would just wear the same bathing suits and shirts that the little tittied ladies do. Yeah. So, like, it's more about, like, what I have always perceived as um, what I wanted to look like. Mm-hmm. But I was scared of how specifically gendered it was. And it did not help that the L word, the original L word, had an insane storyline where the character of Dana gets breast cancer At the same time that the character of Max wants to get top surgery and the two are pitted against each other as like, how could you want to get rid of your breasts when Dana would do anything to keep her breasts?
0: Oh, my God.
2: It's wild. And I, you know, I was talking to someone about like these sort of I feel like cis people could understand gender dysphoria if they just looked at it as when someone gets breast implants, that's. Correcting gender dysphoria. You want to look more like a what you think is a woman. Hmm. Or like when a guy gets like a hair transplant, he wants to look more masculine. That's a gender-affirming surgery. <laughs> so like, I feel like there's it's it's if we took the stank off it, it would just be like doing things to make your outsides match your insides. Or like what you what makes you feel less anxious and more comfortable in your body? And I, I feel weird. I feel weird. And I would like to not feel weird. And if, and this is the way to help that and it's diagnosed, then like, I don't know. I just feel like people are way too concerned about other people's business. And they'll be like, with trans surgeries, they'll be like, well, what if you regret it? And it's like, I don't know. People regret nose jobs, like chill out. Like, it's just
0: very, like... I don't regret my nose job. I just can't breathe.
2: (laughs) (laughs) It's just kind of this wild thing that's got... And, I mean, I, I understand that it's political, but I feel like it's just gotten so politicized when, like, at the base of it is just, like, people's happiness and, like, wanting to be comfortable. And so, like, what I don't understand. I just, like... I mean, I do understand, but I'm also just, like, oh, my God, give it a rest. So, I don't know. I'm excited. I'm excited to feel more like myself. I'm excited to go to the beach. I'm excited to like wear clothes that I think fit me and are look the way I want to look. and you know, I just I feel so like weird and disconnected and I think that I will feel better and more connected and to your own body yeah, right? to my body. and also and I didn't feel connected and I had the breast reduction in the hopes of feeling connected and didn't work. So also I got like a couple really weird emails from people that were like, you're doing irreversible damage to yourself and it's just because you don't like yourself. And here's how you can like fix that or whatever from cis women who love to message me.
0: People, you know, or just random people,
2: random people. Like I've been getting a lot of cis women being like, don't do this. If you just took the right vitamins, you wouldn't be so sad and need to transition. You know what I mean? Why do people care so That's much? That's what I don't get. They think they're rescuing me. That's the vibe. The vibe is very much like, I'm here to save you.
1: And that feels to me that there's something missing in their life and they're trying to put it on.
2: And like I said before, if I'm like, oh no, it turns out I'm actually a woman, then guess what? I guess I'm going to wax my face, which I was already doing for a while, and just get bathing suits for my tiny titties. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, it's fine. People, it, I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. I think if you're the the wave of relief, I felt when it got scheduled, I thought I was going to have to wait a couple months. And then they were like, it's we have a date in a month. And I was like, so happy and so excited. Like, obviously, I don't you don't know. I don't know going forward. Like, is this right? Is this right? All I can go on is that when I wasn't able to get testosterone and I had to wait a month. And then when I finally did get the testosterone, I stopped crying every day. So that's all you can really go on. And then when I was like anxious and trying to be like, I hope that this doesn't have to get scheduled for February. I'm so nervous. And then when they were like, we actually have early December. Like, I'm just, I have to go just based on like the relief I feel. And like, it's none of your business.
0: Can I ask some questions that that maybe just as someone who has not questioned their gender identity, I've, I've just been curious about. Yeah. And I hope I say them in the right way. And I apologize if I don't. Okay. I will throw tomato at you. <laughs> Do some people like, because I know gender fluidity is a thing, mm-hmm. but like for some people, is it almost like a few years of feeling more one gender followed by a few years of feeling, it can be like can any be anything. time
2: period. Can be anything. And what's really wonderful is that friends of mine who are gender fluid, they can mix and match the ways that they want. It doesn't, ha- it can even be like in one, in one look. Or in one day or whatever. Like, I think it it can go years. It can go back and forth. I've been really excited by like friends of mine who don't necessarily identify as trans, but are having surgeries or like doing things to their looks or experimenting or having like more freedom to sort of express themselves Mm -hmm. in ways that would typically have been just for trans people. Like, I love that it's becoming more, like, nuanced and complicated. Like, that it's more, like, it's not, like, and then you become a binary trans man and this is what you do and you do all of these things and then you pass. That it's so much more, like, whatever feels good to you, man. Like, it's more, like... And that can
0: change with time.
2: Can change. I love, I love when I see trans guys doing drag as women, you know? Or, like, even just going out for a night with like a wig and a dress. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's like taking ownership of these things that are like so societal mm-hmm. and in a way that doesn't have to be understood by everyone. And I and I think that that's like super cool that that's that that's happening more and more.
0: Do you think that you'll ever use he him pronouns or does they them feel right for you? Interesting question.
2: Okay. So I prefer they them. I prefer a name that I've been toying around with that is more gender neutral or more just like doesn't have a gender attached to it. But society is such that it is harder to be seen as what I want to be seen as if I don't give people like the biggest slap in the flip face clue of all time. So in some scenarios, using a traditionally male name and using he him is a means to getting what I want which is to be perceived as how I want. So with people who have a bit more gender nuance or like friends or are closer to me, I could be I could be more like, hey, you know, I would prefer they, them, I would prefer this other name versus like if I'm out in the world or if I'm meeting someone at a bar or and it's loud or if I'm, you know, like at a coffee shop or something, I don't have time to explain the nuances of the whole situation. Then I'll be like, I'll say, you know, I'll have a more traditional male name and I'll use he. Like at the mixer, uh, there's a trans mask industry mixer. And at the mixer, uh, my little tag says he, him. Just for short, just because like I I want, It's like it's like you're working with what you want and then you're also working with getting society to see you the way you want. And if that's, if I have to go hard left in order to get to the middle ground, then like we'll work with that for now. You know what I mean?
1: So I have a question and yeah. it might be again. Same
2: thing that Alice. said. Same disclaimer. Yeah, same disclaimer. Um, I have more tomatoes. So uh,
1: you said you want to be what you want to be perceived as. And Mm -hmm. so do you want to be perceived as a man? I don't know. No,
2: I don't know. I guess like it just feels like other people need things fairly simplified.
1: But if like me, I don't need it simplified. I'm just asking because I want to know what you prefer.
2: It's hard. It's hard to know what I'm perceived as because I don't have top surgery yet and I'm not like existing out in the world in a certain way. So, it kind of fluctuates based on the individual person what I'm seen as. I would I would like to be seen I would like the person to be like that's a trans guy. Like I would like to be clocked in that way. Not everyone does. Or I would like for I would like as I move forward, I would like the person to be like that is a little gay guy. You know what I mean? Like something where they're not reading me as like I'm not necessarily aiming to be like in the WWE, like with a with a beard. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I'm not, I'm not sort of aiming to seem like hyper masculine. Okay. But I don't know. I really, I don't know because it's it's been it's been interesting, like being pre a lot of stuff, which not everyone wants all of it. Not everyone wants to be all of it. You know what I mean? Like I'm saying pre for myself. But once I'm out in the world being perceived in certain ways, I'll know more about what I like and don't like. Mm -hmm. Right now, I'm just going based on what I think. But it also is like, you know, strange who does perceive me in certain ways and who doesn't. And then also how that will change based on facial hair and top surgery and stuff like that, which I think people just use people just use the closest clues they can see. So like if you have a mustache, they'll just go like, guy. You know, if you're at the beach in a men's bathing suit, they won't think about it. They might see the scars. They might not. They might. Some people who don't know anything about trans people might just be like, wow, that person got bit twice in the same place by the same shark or whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like they're they they might they just people tend to go based on like very easy indicators. If you have earrings on, you know what I mean? Like very small indicators of gender that people just like take and run with. And I haven't really experienced many of those. So once I have more of them, I'll let you know. Okay. Yeah. And you can do and I want to do small things to try to tip the scales in the masculine direction. So we'll see if those change anything for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, and also like, right, like it's like allowing yourself to feel one way one day and one a different day the next day.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And like you can only go by what makes you feel right. I think there's a lot of trans narratives that are like, I've known forever. or I was three years old and I said I was a boy. And I think you can just go based on how you feel any given period of time. And this has been the last like two or three years of me feeling this way. So at a certain point, you have to do something about it or you have to like you. You can be that thing that you're like, I wish I was that. You can just be that. <laughs> so just be it. <laughs> All these people that are like, God, I wish I was a girl. You could just be a girl.
0: <laughs> I mean, I think it, it's it, depending on where people live and what their situation are. Well, yeah, but I just are, mean harder, in, your, in yeah. your heart, like yeah. to
2: yourself, mm-hmm. in your heart. I don't know. We'll see you, see you on the other side, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Do
1: you guys each want a boob? Yeah, as a <laughs> memento. It can be the mascots of the show. They won't uh, let you take it with you. I know. I've Why seen not? somebody else take it.
2: I don't know. They won't let you take it. It's biomedical waste.
1: Wow. I know it's bullshit. Well, they're going to sew my nips back on. You should.
0: Oof. okay.
2: Wait, they, <laughs>
1: wait, so they're going to sew them back on? You don't have you to don't do make... like a tattoo
2: thing? No, 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 no. Well, I might want to just because uh-huh. I think maybe it'll depend on the, I want it to be more even maybe. But they're going to, no, they take it off. Then they take your actual nipple and they like make a little nipple out of it and then they put it back on. So that's why I have to be really careful with the compression garments because if you take them off too soon, just the nips will go right with them. Oh. I don't know why you're shivering. You're going to help me out, Allison.
0: Yeah, I'll be okay. You're going to come okay. to my house. Yeah. I, I can
1: help too. I can do nice. it. Are you going to do I, it? It doesn't gross me out. Like if I can help. Okay.
0: I can be grossed out and help.
1: <laughs> you're going to take blood and gook out of my body?
0: Okay. Woo! Woo! <laughs> what do we rate this episode?
2: I rate it 14 out of 13. Friends taking blood out of your body for you.
0: (laughs) I will rate it 46 out of 22 K-pop idols.
1: I'll rate it 30 out of 22. Ta-ta, ta-tas. Ta-ta, (laughs) ta-tas. That's so accurate. That's brilliant. That's so accurate.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much to Denise Kim for being our guest. Just Between Us is a Forever Dog production hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Produced by Melissa diamond
2: Monts, Edited by Coco Lorenz. Executive produced by Brett Boehm, Joe Cilio, Alex Ramsey, and Tracy Soren. Brendan Burns composed our killer theme music. To listen to this podcast ad-free, sign up for Forever Dog Plus at foreverdogpodcast.com slash plus. Make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forever Dog Team to keep up with all the latest Forever Dog news. Also, at Allison Raskin, at She Is Not Melissa, at Gabby GabbyRoad. Emotional Support Lady Substack, Patreon.com slash Gabby Dunn, and also Allison's book, Overthinking About You. Go and leave a Goodreads or an Amazon review. Um, You can also go to Scribd and see my book, Stimulus Rack. But Allison's, give them reviews. Okay, bye!
1: Forever! Dog!